Well, this morning I'm continuing our, service, our, our series on 2 Corinthians 4, and we're going to be looking at treasure, treasure in jars of clay, treasure that is hidden. There are all kinds of treasure in the world, aren't there? And uh, there are some treasures that are hidden. For example, in an oyster, you can have an oyster that just looks like a stone, all rough and gnarly, and yet inside there can be a perfect pearl being formed. Or you can have diamonds that look like stone. They just look like a chunk of rock, and yet when they're cut and polished, they sparkle and shine and become something of great worth. And the baked bean tin, well, you're just going to have to wait and find out what the treasure is in that. In this chapter, Paul brings lots of contrasts. So he contrasts seeing Jesus, the light that reveals Jesus, and with being spiritually blind. He contrasts treasure and jars of clay, life and death, testimony and worship rather than suffering in silence. It's a great chapter. So I'm going to break it up into three sections, and we're going to begin by reading the first section, which is verses 1 to 4 in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ, our Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Now, Paul starts and ends this chapter with the phrase, we do not lose heart. So you know that he wants to encourage us to persevere, to hold on, and to be like him, to keep preaching and sharing the good news of Jesus, whatever obstacles, whatever pressure, whatever persecution that you might face. And Paul says that those who are yet to believe in Christ, it's as if they're spiritually blind. They have no hope. They don't understand the reality of who Jesus is. Now, this is sobering because all of us know people, friends, family, co-workers, who don't know Jesus, who seem blinded, who just don't get what we're going on about when we try and share our faith. And in fact, Paul says, a God of this age, the devil, has, with his limited power, the ability to hinder people from believing and understanding about Jesus. But Paul contrasts this limited power with the unstoppable power of God to open people's eyes. And he takes us back to Genesis chapter 1 
and this great opening verse of the Bible where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and God said, let there be light. And there was light. You know, in that moment, can you imagine from darkness and chaos and nothing, suddenly there is light and beauty and wonder and creation. Phil Moore, the commentator, says this, it took God two Hebrew words consisting of only six letters to turn darkness to light at the dawn of time. Our Savior God is unstoppable in his mission. That's brilliant, isn't it? And that has happened for each one of us if we've come to faith in Jesus, that there was a day when the light dawned, that a new creation happened in our hearts. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. God spoke his word into our hearts and light brought understanding and everything that separated us from God just fell away. You know, this is really encouraging news because it means that we can pray for people who are far from God. We can pray that God will shine his light into their hearts and he will open their eyes to understand who Jesus is. You know, there's a mystery about this because we often think it's us that turn to God and we put our faith in him, we repent, we, we make that decision, but behind the scenes, it's God that's softening our hearts and opening our eyes. In this chapter, that's what Paul wants to emphasize, the fact that God's spirit opens our eyes. But in 2 Corinthians 3, he says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So there's that two-way process. We turn to God, but he's already working in our hearts and minds to show us Jesus. That happened to Paul on the Damascus Road. A light from heaven, blinded him physically, but revealed Jesus to him spiritually. Everything in his life was turned upside down. The Jesus who he had persecuted was now his Lord. The people who he'd hated were now his brothers and sisters. The mission he was on to destroy the church was replaced by a mission to build the church. Some of us have had Damascus Road experiences, haven't we? Where God has suddenly shone a light into our lives and we've responded. For others of us, you know, maybe if we've been brought up in a Christian home or we've wrestled over time with some questions we've had about faith, it's been more like a slow dawning of light that eventually has come, us, come to the point where we've put our faith in Jesus and made him Lord of our life. I mean, that's what's so brilliant about Alpha, that week by week, as people ask their questions, the light begins to dawn and people begin to see who Jesus is and they come to faith. That happens here 
every term, week by week. Jesus himself spoke about this light, this treasure. He spoke about the kingdom of God being like a, a great pearl that you know, is really valuable, a bit like our oyster with that pearl in there. He spoke about the treasure that is worth selling everything you have to own. This treasure that's like a free gift, but it also costs us everything. And at heart, Jesus is that treasure. Jesus, who is so wonderful, was so full of glory and grace. And yet when he came to earth, he lived as an ordinary man. He reached out to the lepers. He healed those that were sick. He sat down with the woman in trouble. His grace and truth shone through everything he did. And many of us have met Jesus. In our hearts, we know that he is a son of God. He is the Lord of our lives. He is everything that is wonderful and glorious about life. He is our treasure. But today, if you're not sure about who Jesus is, maybe you still have questions. I would just challenge you, why not pray a really dangerous prayer? Why don't you say to Jesus today, if you're real, if you're who everybody says you are, show yourself to me. Open my eyes, because I believe God will answer that prayer. God will show himself to you. It might be through a conversation with a friend, or praying with someone at the end of the meeting, or coming along to Alpha to ask your questions, but God desires that you will find out who Jesus is, that you find the treasure for yourself. But let's get back to our reading, to the, to the chapter, and let's go to verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For he, we who are alive are also being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. You know, when we think about clay pots, we probably want to imagine a you know, one of those beautiful blue glazed ones that you see in uh, garden centers that are very expensive and shiny and beautiful. We often want to think that we are more permanent, more important, more essential than we really are. But Paul says we're just basic, ordinary, cheap and clay pots. We're not durable. We're not nice. You know, in the, in the New Testament, earthenware pots 
were just disposable. They're probably like our Tupperware containers or those ice cream boxes we put our leftovers in. They, they just held things, and when they chipped and broke, they were thrown away and a new one was bought. Now, Paul isn't being negative about our bodies here. In 1 Corinthians 6, he makes a point about saying that we, our bodies are the temple of God, And we are precious and valuable and we need to honor God in our bodies and not get involved in sexual immorality because we are precious. But in this chapter, he wants to make a different point. He wants to emphasize the fact that we are fragile. We are chipped. We are broken. We are ordinary. We are disposable in comparison with the treasure within us. You know, it's a bit like if you plant some beautiful bulbs in an earthenware pot, and the bulbs come up year after year, beautiful flowers, brighten up your garden. But, you know, after a few frosty winters, that will pot will chip and break, get dirty, and you'll have to replace it. And that's the contrast that Paul wants to make between the pot and the treasure, our bodies and the all-surpassing power of the Holy Spirit, which is within us, the treasure that makes Jesus real in our hearts. We all want treasure, don't we? We want to think of ourselves as treasure. I mean, we'd love a pearl, wouldn't we, from an oyster? And we take a diamond, however rough it is. Well, remember my tin of beans. You know, very ordinary, very boring, very functional, stuck at the back of the cupboard in the kitchen. But, you know, it, doesn't, it isn't just what it seems, because inside there is a treasure. Inside my little ordinary tin of beans, there's a treasure. Now, I don't think there's a lady in the room who wouldn't like a little treasure like this, yeah? And if you were single and your guy appeared with a little box like this, you'd be really excited at the treasure within. But, you know, you wouldn't be thinking, oh, I wonder how much that ring is worth. You'd be thinking, wow, this is someone who wants to promise his life to me, who wants to be with me forever and and commit to me. That's the real treasure that this represents. And Paul is saying to us, the treasure within us, the Holy Spirit within us, isn't just something for us to enjoy when we worship. This is about God's promise and commitment to us that whatever happens to our bodies We have a hope in heaven. We will be raised. We have eternal life within us. We have a treasure. He has chosen us and loved us and promised eternal life to those of us that believe in him. This is the treasure that we have within us. This is the treasure that will live forever in us. But as soon as Paul has brought that great news, he doesn't let us think, oh, it's going to be happy ever after. He starts talking about death and pressure and trouble. And that's the reality that we live in a broken world. It's almost like 
Paul wants to emphasize the trouble we face. And he talks so honestly about being hard-pressed, perplexed, struck down. I mean, Paul literally, time after time, faced death, faced persecution in order to see people come to life and faith in Christ Jesus. He did that in Corinth when the church was birthed. But let's face it, we don't really like to talk about death, do we? We don't like to think of ourselves as mortal, that death is inevitable. We don't want to think about it or live as if that is true. But the reality is death is always working in our lives. Just at the same time, God's life and treasure is working in us. In fact, Paul even wants to stress it even firmer when he says that actually it's like his power, his treasure is more fully demonstrated in our weakness. As we suffer, just as Christ did, as Paul did, we demonstrate the power of God, the resurrection that is to come. That's a hard thought and probably unpopular because really we want to look good, we want to be successful, we want to live on this earth forever. But actually, there is more to life than this old clay pot. In the middle of our weakest moments, God's all-surpassing, unstoppable, unbeatable power wants to shine through us and motivate us to hold on and to persevere and to live for the age to come as well as to live fully our lives here on earth. Recently, we were in Zimbabwe, and we were visiting uh, the River of Life Church, and they have just gone multi-site in January. So we we went with Steve and Debs, our senior pastor, to, to share with them, and they've got two sites and five meetings. But you know, in that nation, they face enormous challenges. High unemployment, low wages... But when we went into the grocery shop, it was the prices were just pretty much the same as they are here. Many people are struggling with HIV. There are a million orphans in that nation. Yet the leader of the church, Scott Mark, said to me, you know, all these pressures that we face, he said, I just see them as an opportunity for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when people are hard-pressed, they turn to Jesus. And Jesus comes with his treasure. And he enables them to persevere and rejoice and bring life in what would be death otherwise. It's humbling, isn't it? Often we find it difficult, don't we, to admit our own weaknesses. I mean, I've got a cold at the moment, and it's, you know, when people say to you, how are you? I say, oh, I've got a bit of a cold, you know, and you get a bit of sympathy. But, you know, if there's something big going on in your life, if there are real pressures, often we find it really difficult to admit them, don't we? So then in those circumstances when people say to you, how are you? You say, oh, I'm, I'm fine. 
We gloss over it, don't we? But here's Paul, the great apostle, man of immense faith, saying, no, I was hard-pressed. I was perplexed. I was struck down. And I believe he, he does this as an example for us, that we need to be honest and share about what is going on in our lives so that we can stand together and encourage each other and pray for one another. And in his last section, he goes to that about giving testimony and sharing what's really going on in your life. So let me read to you from verse 13. He's quoting from Psalm 116. And this is a testimony psalm. And he just picks out one phrase from the psalm. But in in the minds of the readers, they would have been going to the whole psalm. And I would encourage you when you get home to read Psalm 116. So he says this, It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, do not lose heart. So in this section, he's reminding them of the psalmist who talked about death closing in on him uh, and entangling him. It's a psalm of deep despair and testimony. He calls on God and God delivers him. And he, he knows that God in his trouble is trustworthy. I love this psalm because it's not super spiritual. There's no gloss over it. He doesn't just say, oh, I'm fine. I went through a few difficulties. No, he's brutally honest. And yet he, as he describes his pain, he puts his trust in God. And he says, you know, I'm going to speak. I'm going to go up to Jerusalem. I'm going to share my testimony. I'm going to worship. I'm going to remember God's faithfulness as I gather together with the believers. This isn't some cheap, uh, you know, name it and claim it, believe it and speak it out and everything will be fine. No, it's about being brutally honest and trusting in God wholeheartedly, reminding yourself there's treasure within. There's treasure within. I can hold on because God's Holy Spirit is within me. And Paul says, you know, this is what we need to do. We need to remind ourselves of God's grace and give thanks as we meet together so that we can give glory to God and not lose heart. Testimony is a great thing. And so I've asked my husband, William, to come and share a testimony with you this morning. Uh, William's my best friend. He also works up in the city, and he's an elder part-time and he's going to share something of our story with you. Good morning. It's a bit different. Last Sunday I was in, uh, in Zimbabwe. And I have to say, if you're from Africa, you've got a cool continent. That is really pretty good. Um, I want to tell you a story about something that happened uh, and actually still happening uh, to me. <clears throat> 
It's hard to know sometimes when it all started, really, but about five years ago, I ended up in um, A&E um, around April with a lot of pain in my stomach. And I ended up seeing a surgeon, and surgeons being what they are, you know, they sort of cut first, ask questions afterwards. So I had my spleen removed. And um, then came the process of trying to find out what the diagnosis was, what the, the issue was. And, you know, that takes time. You always want things to happen like this, but it didn't. It takes time. You have to wait. It feels like your life is a bit on hold. But eventually we got a call and went to see the consultant. Hillary came in with me, and the consultant called in a nurse. And I think at that moment Hillary knew something was up. To me it was all new. never happened. So it was all a bit of a surprise and, and not, not a nice surprise. Um, it turned out that I had a type of blood cancer, which although it's manageable and treatable, it, uh, it's, there's no actual way of curing it at the moment. So I think the, the doctor said something about the name of the condition. He also said, you know, that it was manageable and treatable and various other things. <clears throat> I can't honestly remember what he said except for two words, which was incurable cancer. So after that, it was all a bit of a blur, I'll be honest with you. I always knew that one day I would die, you know, because it, that's what happens to all of us. But actually being faced up with the reality of your own mortality uh, is a bit of a, a moment, really. Um, but the thing that became my anchor is the certain knowledge that God is involved in the whole situation. I decided to write down a list of all the evidences in my mind of what God was doing around that. And I kept adding to the list because I see more and more and more of it. <clears throat> it included the fact that they were able to treat me with a medication that just a few years wasn't available. And the fact that my response to the, medic to the treatment was much better than the doctors had been, been expecting. I became even more convinced the God in his sovereignty knows me and he cares about me. I found that instead of asking why me, I was asking why not me. I live in a broken world where bad things happen, but I have a good God who's with me. There were some bad days and there were some days of physical pain and weakness. Chemotherapy is actually quite hard work and it's difficult not to become a bit of a whiner sometimes. One time I had a bad reaction to a drug, which meant that all the alarms went off and doctors were running around and injecting things into me, and it was just a very bad time. Um, I'm not, I don't resist infections as well as I used to, so I end up spending more time in hospital than, than I would like to. Uh, and much as I value my privacy, I was, there was a handful of people, who close friends of mine, some of you in this room now, who I was able to share this with and who committed to praying consistently for me, I genuinely can tell you that I felt the power of those prayers, both in personal encouragement and in knowing that God heard and responded. I'm now in what's called uh, full remission. Um, so although that means that there's no evidence of the cancer at all in me now, um, they, they will, it will eventually come back. You know? so unless God heals me miraculously one day I'm going to have to deal with all this again but right now I'm really well um, the whole experience has changed the way I look at everything 
Um, it had changed my priorities. It's put a focus back on the relationships that really matter to me. And it's made me think hard about how I use my time and how I use my money. I found it much easier to share my faith with other people, <clears throat> including the medical team and people in my office, other patients that I've known. The whole sense that it's important, it matters, and that you haven't got forever. You know, mm. um, The hope of heaven and the hope of the resurrection have become more real in my life. And the whole experience has added a sense of gratitude, urgency, and purpose to me. I know there are many others in this room who've probably been through similar things. And this is the reality of life, isn't it? That we face troubles and trials, but God is with us. God heals, God gives us strength, God enables us to persevere because the treasure is within us if we believe in Jesus Christ. And we have a hope that goes beyond these jars of clay. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you're going through a trial or a trouble, to focus back on Jesus, to lift your eyes on him, to allow his glory and his grace to come into view. In a minute, we're going to worship. Let's lift up the name of Jesus. He is precious. He is our treasure. He is all we need to get through life. And if you still haven't found Jesus, I would encourage you to pray that prayer. If you're real, reveal yourself to me because he will answer that prayer. And for those of you going through trial, Maybe today is a time to come forward for prayer or to share with your small group this week and not suffer in silence, to give your testimony, to worship God with people you know and to let them pray for you and encourage you and stand by you. Maybe you need to come along to the pastoral care clinic and really get some concentrated prayer in the trial that you're going through. But above all, let's lift our eyes to Jesus. He is our eternal treasure. Amen.